Ready to unlock the secrets to a thriving career in the pharmaceutical industry? I'm Lizzie, your guide to navigating the ins and outs of pharma professions. Tune in for expert interviews, insider tips, and the strategies you need to break into this dynamic field. Welcome to Cracking the Code Pharmaceutical Industry Careers, where your journey begins. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Oren. Hi, Oren. How are you? Well, thank you, Lizzie. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, I'm very excited to have Oren on the podcast today because she has um, some extensive experience within the pharmaceutical industry. Um, the very beginning of her career, she worked as a research assistant. She then went on to do a PhD, several postdocs, and then she was a regulatory affairs associate. That was sort of her first job within the industry. But I won't say anything more because I'd like Oren um, to give us a, a brief sort of um history of your your background and where you started in the industry well thank you very much for that introduction lizzie and for inviting me to speak on your podcast today um so as you said my my first entry into the pharmaceutical industry um after several years of postdocing um was as a regulatory affairs associate and um so i worked as a regulatory affairs associate in large american uh company Uh, And then I also moved across to a scientific affairs associate role later on for a smaller specialist um, pharmaceutical company working in the rare disease spaces. Um, I've also worked for um, a number of other companies um, through my career, uh, mostly focused on the oncology space because that was my research background training. And so people naturally gravitated to put me in into those particular roles uh, within regulatory affairs. Currently, I do some consulting to industry rather than working full-time for a company. And I actually work full-time at the University of Sydney. Um, and I run a um, post, suite of postgraduate programs um, specifically does, designed to help people make that very difficult transition um, from academia or from other career pathways into the pharmaceutical and medical device industry. Well, that's a great introduction um, to my next question, which is, can you tell us about the master's program that you run? Yeah, thank you, Lizzie. Um, So I run a suite of postgraduate programs, so a graduate certificate, graduate diploma, master's and master's advanced program at the University of Sydney. Uh, So the master's is a master of science in medicine, Uh, in pharmaceutical and medical device development. And so the program is actually designed to help people make that transition from their current role into an industry-based role. We have a number of students that are doing that transition. So, for instance, a number of community pharmacists, et cetera, um, researchers from academia, um, medically qualified people that are working in medicine, uh, all looking to transition from their current roles into a role in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, And we also have students within the program that are working within the industry already, but perhaps looking to transition roles within the industry, or they are looking for a promotion and so forth. They're wanting a bit more background and and formal qualifications to move up um, the ladder within their current positions. So by the sounds of it, um, sounds very flexible. So can they do it part-time, full-time, you know, pick a subject a semester how does that sort of how can they fit it into their full-time jobs 
Yes, as you said, most most of our students are working full-time and they're trying to, to study part-time. So um, we do offer that flexibility. Uh, most of the students are only doing the program part-time and so they might take one or two subjects per semester. The program is fully online and so it doesn't matter where the students are located across Australia, um, they can still uh, enrol in the program and, and take the studies with us. We design it specifically so that we have, um, you know, real live webinars and things based um, in the evenings uh, in Eastern Australian time uh, so that, that students can finish their work day, come home. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of our students are at the stage of life where they've got small children as well, so get the children all sorted out and then they can sit down and, and uh, spend an hour talking about their studies uh, with us and listening to to guest lecturers from industry as well. And I remember you saying it's also designed to be a great networking system. Um, you put, you know, there's sort of a group chat and everybody can um, network with each other and also imagine that the, the um, people you get onto the, the program to talk to them is they do come from the industry, some of them themselves. Yes, most of our most of our people that we have um, joining us in the webinars um, are actually working in the industry. Um, the majority are working in the pharmaceutical or medical device uh, or cell and gene therapy industry here in Australia. Um, but we do have guest speakers coming in from other other countries, so from the US, um, Europe, from uh, around Asia as well, just to give that international perspective. Um, to our students, but we strongly encourage students to form networks with each other. We have discussion forums that they all participate in um, and group work projects. So the students really get to interact and form a community with their other students in the cohort and they all help each other. So the people that are in industry will often post up on this website um, jobs that are going in their company and help, help the other students um, gain that first foothold into industry and students um, form, you know, lasting friendships and bonds with each other and they actually right. support each other through the rest of their careers as they're, they're progressing through their careers. Do you know if any of your students who have completed the master's had quicker access in getting a role in the industry? Do you think it was a slight sort of upper hand for them having completed the program? Yes, well... Um, the program does give, give students that comprehensive overview of the industry and, you know, we cover different areas of the industry. We cover regulatory affairs, we cover therapeutic product vigilance, medical affairs. These are uh, clinical research. These are all areas that people are keen to move into in the, in the industry. And so they can form connections with people in those roles um, and often senior people in those roles within an industry through the webinars but also connections with each other, as I said. Um, and so it does definitely facilitate students moving into their first, first role in industry. And I've had a lot of success in having students transition from other career pathways um, into an industry role. And equally also people moving from one type of um, role within industry into another industry as a result of completing the program. Right. What advice do you typically give to people trying to to trans, sorry, transition into an industry world, particularly those that come from a very academic background and want to leave research and go into the industry? Yeah, so I give, give um, 
people a, a number of um, pointers. So I guess the first thing is really to um, get to know themselves really well. So do some mm. self-evaluation and see where their own strengths and weaknesses are. So it, even in academic roles, you have got a lot of transferable skills and you really need to be able to identify those skills and articulate them and then show um, the people that you're you're trying to get a job with um, how you can transition those skills into uh, what they're looking for in someone coming into the industry. So that's the first thing. The second thing is really to um, reach out and find some mentors. So LinkedIn is a wonderful tool um, for setting yourself up, making a professional profile, etc., on LinkedIn and then starting to reach out to people. And you'd be amazed um, how willing people are actually to sit down with you on a little Zoom chat, yes. um, have, a, have a cup of coffee and just talk about um, how they got into industry, what their roles are within industry um, and really f getting those mentors to help you um, move along in your, your um, goals to move into an industry role. Yeah, that was something I was really surprised about back when I was trying to find a role in the industry earlier this year, how, like you said, how willing people are actually to to speak with you and everybody's really um, friendly and, yeah, open open to mm -hmm. a discussion. I just want to go back to your first pointer about um, better knowing yourself, and this is something I realise is so important, and I'm currently doing a, a leadership program um, run by Anri Wogan, and I sort of wish I'd done this leadership program at the beginning because one of the big sort of slogans we say that's said in this leadership program is to be a good leader you have to know yourself and then you will be able to lead others and people will want to follow you and not just have to follow you um, and it's really a valuable um, lesson that I, I learned and I wish I'd, I'd sort of done yeah like I said this program at the beginning because you realize you know where your weaknesses are where your strengths are um, and I think when you do know yourself better, you can also better see which role you might be suited to. Um, I'll get into this later on, but the biggest advice that was given to me is to be a sales rep, and that's currently what I am. And it's a great role, great first job, but not everybody is suited for that role. Um, and I was horrified when I was told, you know, this is probably your best bet. And I thought, I can't be a sales rep. No way. But actually I can. And it's not as bad as it seems. But um, had I maybe known of myself a bit better, I wouldn't have been as horrified when someone had said, you know, you need to go for a sales rep role. Because it's mm -hmm. sort of the only entry point for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are an, a number of entry points that you can go into industry. As I said, uh, yes. for my first role in industry, I moved into a regulatory affairs role. And um, that's one thing that you do need to do is actually investigate the different types of roles that are available within industry. And there are a number of different roles available and then see which one actually suits um, your skill set, your personality, et cetera. So, yeah. um, you know, I was not keen on moving into a sales position. Um, I knew I had very good attention to detail, um, very strong scientific background, especially in oncology. Um, I really loved the the basic information about how therapeutic products were developed um, and the whole process, of the manufacturing process, um, which I had a good grasp on from my biochemistry background as well. And so, um, you know, I was 
suggested to me that regulatory affairs might be the the way to go because you need that high attention to detail. You're still involved very heavily in the science of the product, um, but you also need good negotiation skills because you're liaising between the regulator, head office, manufacturer, the manufacturing sites. And so, um, you know, showing how I could transfer those skills across from academia into uh, into an industry role um, helped me land that, that initial position in industry. Now, as as you know and I know and probably a few people that are listening uh, to this episode, getting into the industry really is a challenge, in particular if you don't have any um, pharma experience. What do you think, Oren, um, companies could do more to try and bring in new and inexperienced um, graduates? Well, you know, the, the pace of change is just so rapid at the moment. Um, you know, that's why you see a lot of uh, positions advertised where people already want an experienced person coming into the role mm-hmm. because they really don't have a lot of the capacity to be able to train up those new people. And therefore, that's how, that's where formal education um, providers, but even, um, you know, short course providers, et cetera, all come into the play to help you look at um, the competencies that are required for a particular role um, and then try and build up your expertise and experience in those areas so that when you are applying for a role, um, that would really help you against the competition. Um, companies do have, um, some companies do have formal um, graduate programs available as well, um, but, there, you know, is very, very tight competition Uh, around those graduate programs and there there are not that many available but they are a a good way of moving into the industry. The other options that people could think about would be um, starting off in a manufacturing site, so starting um, working for one of the companies that are doing actual manufacturing here in Australia. Um, And we do, you know, the government is uh, emphasising more um, manufacturing onshore uh, but some of the big companies and also um, a number of the um, you know, complementary medicine companies that manufacture within Australia. And so um, you could get a position there, for perhaps in quality assurance, overseeing the manufacturing, the quality of the manufacturing of the products. That gives you a good understanding about the technical background of, of developing uh, medicines and products. And then you could move into a regulatory affairs role um, as that's one transition that you could make. The other option to go is uh, if you have a lot of experience in um, basic research or maybe even some of your research is more applied and more clinical, moving into a clinical research role. So there are a number of clinical research roles available in the hospital system as well. So you could make that your first move from an academic um, you know, postdoctoral position, for instance, into a research role based uh, at a hospital site and so the companies are interacting with you at the site to run their clinical trials um, and then transition from that over into a clinical research associate role within industry. Um, The other option that a lot of people don't really think about but is a really good option is to actually go into government. Um, Okay. So, you know, the TGA, um, the OGTR, the Departments of Health, um, all have really good roles that would help you gain experience that you would need to then move from um, those roles into an industry role if that's the way you want to go. But a lot of, a lot of people try that government route and really enjoy it. So, yeah. so that's, I, that's another option. 
It's yeah, interesting you mentioned that. I've only just started thinking about that, and it is actually yeah, I, like you said, a lot of people don't think realize that that is an option. They don't immediately think of the TGA, and TGA is what governs almost pharma companies to get their drug on the market. So it's a huge and important governing um, body, and it would actually be really interesting to work work in there. Um, you said it just a couple of minutes ago. The the pace of change in the industry is so fast um, at the at the minute. A lot is going on. What would you say the pharma industry is looking for in their employees more than ever before? Uh, the the main things that people are looking for are your teamwork skills. Whether you will get along with the other people that are already working in the company and in the teams, you'll be working in a lot of. Uh, multi-sectoral teams within the industry and cross-border teams, international teams working together on projects. So they really need to know that you can work together with other people, um, that you can actually achieve a goal within a set period of time and, and you know, that you're easy easy to get along with and, and work together really well. And so that that is critical even more so than some of the technical, deep technical skills um, that people bring into the industry. How can people, that's something that's hard to show on a on a CV, you know, being able to work um, across, you know, several teams, being, you know, getting along with people. How um how do you think they can sort of show that on a on a CV? Would it be through maybe prior experience? It could be, you know, when they used to work in Coles or as a waitress. We sometimes think that those, um, oh, we won't put that on the CV, but that actually can, I suppose, highlight key skills that can then be used within the with the industry yeah and just when you're discussing roles that you've previous previously held um just put it a little bit of an explanation and you know just show that you know you were given um a, a set time period to get a particular project done and that you achieved that or that you met the milestones for um the, the sales targets that you had for a particular um, you know, sales job, um, you know, in Coles or whatever. Um, they're, they, they're transferable skills. So you need to be, you need to really highlight those uh, in your CV. And of course, then once you get to an interview stage, you can really um, explain situations where you have worked together well as a team or where there might have been some fragmentation in a team that you were in and things that you specifically did to try and smooth that out and bring the team together. So um, those kind of situational uh, interviews are what uh, the industry usually conducts um, when they're looking for people to fit in. And, and they also want people that are very agile, flexible, um, able to adapt to different situations in the changing environment um, that we're in, people that have uh, a love of lifelong learning because you'll be constantly needing to reskill um, and, and update your skill sets as you move through your career. And so those kind of attitudes um, are really what people are looking for when they're hiring new staff. You have reviewed many CVs, I think, in your in your career. Just off the top of your head, what are some of the, the best CVs that you'd seen? You know, it, was it the way they were structured? What were things that stood out for you that made you think, you know, this is an organised candidate and I want to give them an interview? Um, I think that just that ability to be able to explain um, succinctly around the different roles that they've had, what their achievements have been. So don't just say, 
you know, I was a regulatory affairs associate or I was a, you know, community pharmacist, you need to point out um, what some of the achievements that you had are within those roles. So if people can can put that into their CV, um, that really helps the person looking at the CV understand that candidate a little bit more um, and decide whether they might be, you know, in the positive or negative pile of yep. CVs. CVs. Well, that's that's all my questions um, for you today, Oren. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you, you learned something. And please do feel free to connect on LinkedIn um, with Oren. I'm sure she would not mind at all. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Oren, for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Lizzie. And, yes, I hope... Hope people have learnt something and definitely happy to to link in with anyone that's uh, wanting to find out more about the program or more about careers in industry. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes and feel free to leave me a review. See you next time.